Drive All Night is supported by listeners like you. To find out how you can help, please visit patreon.com slash songsoftoriamus. There you'll learn what exciting rewards we're offering for your support. Again, that's patreon.com slash songsoftoriamus to help us continue to make high quality and Torytainment for you. Okay, uh, in Rolling Stone uh, interview that you did recently, uh, suggested that Tory prefers the nerdy type of boys like Bill Gates. <laughs> Who said Bill Gates? Did I say Bill Gates? Apparently, um, the, I think the question was what makes Bill Gates so sexy and you said I never liked bullies. I have a lot of, uh, I used to have a lot of time for the nerds of the world, the ones that don't make the cut. I'd hang out with science kids because they blow things up. Yeah, but the question <laughs> is, is Bill Gates a bully? See? Exactly. <laughs> Probably so. I mean, you can't have that much control and not be one, right? Right. So, you maybe were. Uh, I don't know if he's a nerd, though. No, I'm into nerds, but I I don't know if Bill Gates qualifies as a nerd. I mean, um, I don't even know much about him. I have no idea what he's like. But I think I've always been into techs. You know, guys that mm-hmm. are on the technical side, more than the glam kind of boys. Do I like? always like the guys that you know turn a bit of knobs. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Hey everybody, you're listening to Drive All Night, the songs of Tori Amos. We are your hosts, I'm Efren Jr. And I'm David Anderson. And on this episode, we're talking about Never Seen Blue, a B-side from Tori's fourth album, From the Choir Girl Hotel. How you doing? Wonderful. I have some questions for you right out of the gate. Hit me like a piñata. <laughs> well, I get in trouble whenever I say that, so I wasn't gonna, but I will. Here it comes. Here comes the big question stick. Boop. Do you think we are courting controversy as much, if not more, than Tori ever has? And I ask that because we're coming in hot. We didn't cool off enough after cooling. I'm coming in hot. After our heated debate about when that song was recorded, how are you feeling about that? How am I feeling about our debate? Yeah. I feel good about it. (laughs) I feel like every song brings about new, interesting ideas. And I might have originally said that Cooling was recorded in 96. And I think I did say that. Actually, I think my stance was that it was all recorded in 96, as she said. But if not, that the bridge was what was recorded in Cornwall. And that it was like Frankenstein together. I believe that was my original stance. Mm -hmm. However, after editing the episode and after kind of going through the whole thing, I fell in love with the Brambles Bridge just by putting together the live section. And I now believe, because of the evidence that Tori Amos herself says that, oh, it's not finished yet, the second verse hasn't been written, blah, blah, blah. 
that I believe it was recorded in 98 entirely. Yeah. Yeah. And we have a similar debate coming up with Never Seen Blue. I know. That's why I mentioned it. The debate continues into the next possibly two songs even. It's true because these three songs, Cooling, Never Seen Blue, and Beulah Land, are believed to be Pele era B-sides, which automatically makes people think, just by nature of that being said, that they were recorded in that time. But I don't think they were recorded until Choir Girl. I agree. And again, I think people are going to come for us, or at least for me. (laughs) No one comes for you. Yeah, they do. Well, only because you're so controversial. Oh, maybe you are courting controversy. That was the original question, wasn't it? You are. You always have. I always have and I always will. Those low-cut shirts, David? Uh-huh. According controversy. Yes. Well, I want to say, too, just to keep it sort of topical and seasonal, I feel like Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween Kills, where she finally is told or realizes that Michael Myers doesn't really care about her, and he hasn't been coming for her this whole time, and she's like, no, he was. This is definitely all about me. <laughs> That's how I feel on this show. I'm like, yes, the listeners are coming for me when I claim Cooling was recorded in 1998, even after Tori said directly to me and we have it on tape that it wasn't done in november 1997 god i don't know anyway hi you are heated you are heated right now you need to (laughs) you're coming in hot and you need to come in warm so that we can get hot i am let's move on before i get too upset before we even really get into the episode but the fact that you called it seasonal to keep it seasonal (laughs) means that now we have to put this out before halloween god well that's only like a week away I know. Who has the time? Who has the time, David? <laughs> you do. I don't. Make the time. Make the time. I can't. Halloween's coming up. I've got one more question for you. Okay. Have you ever seen Blue? Yeah, I have. Really? I've seen all kinds of Blue. Yes, I have seen Blue. Are you just talking about when you glance at the cover of Joni Mitchell's album? Mm-hmm. I've seen mm. the album Blue. I've seen Blue the Emotion. I've seen Blue is the Warmest Color, which is a great movie. I've never seen that. <laughs> I've seen a lot of Blues. And I love the Blues as portrayed in Adventures in Babysitting. Oh my gosh, yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> No one gets out of here without singing the blues. We find a lot of ways, and by we I mean you, to reference that movie on this show. It's unexpected. I know. Well, you know, it's a pivotal movie in not only Tori's history, but in my life. Mm-hmm. Definitely in Tori's history, though. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think she could have played that Elizabeth Shue part. Absolutely. I think she probably might have been up for it at that point. Do you think Tori would be a good babysitter? No. She'd be like the babysitter that invites the boyfriend over when you're asleep. Oh, she definitely would. When the kids finally go to sleep, you know? Yes, for sure. And then the parents would get home and find them on the couch. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah. And then they have to tell her minister father. <laughs> Tori Ellen. Tori Ellen. David, I have a question for you. Finally. Would you relate, please, to the listeners, your first time hearing Never Seen Blue? Okay, well, it all started in 1998 on September 15th. I actually think I was at a show on the plug Mm. tour somewhere like in the Oakland area, maybe. Does that sound right? Yes. And the single came out and we went to like a tower in the area and bought it. And it was in that cute little tray, cute little tray with the cardboard, you know. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, those are my least favorite packagings. Me too. Give me a jewel case fine. Give me a slimline jewel case even better, honey, for the singles. You know, you know, they're smaller. <laughs> so give me the slim lines. Yeah. I'll even take a Tavinus and back cardboard, which I love. But don't give me a paper tray. Like, no. I know. Come on. And what do you think happened with the artwork for this album? Like, for the albums prior to this, there were so, so many photos and outfits 
outtakes that were used as single art and then that showed up in other places later that were never used. I have to assume that the same was true of the Choir Girl photo shoot, but they just stopped using those photos and they're like, here, slap a still from the video on the single. Why do you think they did that? I disagree with you. I don't believe there were that many because to be on that copy machine and to get an image probably took three or four takes and each try was like, what, a five minute body scan? So I really don't believe, I, re, I think that we've seen all of them. Kind of like Native Invader, because hand painting that took so long, I think we've seen everything that there is. I think that's true, but again, how did some of these even show up? Like the one where she has that kind of yarny puppet thing on, mm-hmm. and a few others that were never used for anything. How did we even get those? Were they in the tour book, maybe? I think so, yeah. I think they were in the tour book. Anyway, there were still others that could have been used, plus the non-Xerox, you know, moody... Exactly, the non-Xerox shoot, yeah. Yeah, I'd love to see more of like those underwater on the rock photos. Me too. And instead, which I do love the photo from Cruel Raspberry Swirl, but it's interesting that they didn't use the same artwork as was included in the booklet. We have no idea where that photo came from. We've tried to figure it out who the Cruel Raspberry Swirl photo of her taken kind of like from above and she looks kind of possessed <laughs> in a good way. <laughs> Love it. But we don't know who took that. There's no credit I for it. I believe that's from the same shoot as the Jackie Strength Father Lucifer remixes shoot. That just to me feels the same, right? Um, uh, maybe. Well, actually, David, just a little bit of research, and I found out that the Cruel Raspberry Swirl photo was taken by Darren Keith, where the Father Lucifer Jackie Strength photos were taken by Kevin Aqua. Oh. Here's another thought, too. The reason I think that that video still is the artwork for the Jackie Strength single is because it's very 50s. Like, Jackie, we want to, like, evoke Jackie Kennedy. And the black and whiteness of it all, I just feel like it was an actual specific choice. I think that's right. And it obviously captures the song, arguably more so than, you know, Tori laying on that big log rock fossil (laughs) thing. Where she's just so, she's so tired. Oh, she's so tired. You're never going to get away from your wedding if you just lay down. Right. He's going to catch you, girl. He's going to catch you. Yeah. (laughs) God, how have you been, David? I've missed you. Have you? Thank you. I've missed you too. I'm well. I'm wonderful, in fact. Oh, I'm glad to hear it. I'm so glad to hear it. How about you? I've been good. I've been really good, actually. Cooling was <laughs> an intimidating episode, but we've gotten through it. Mm-hmm. And we've come out on the other side better and stronger for it. I know. She stared us down and we stared her right back. Right back in her brambles. Right back mm. in her brambles face. <laughs> <laughs> Punch her right in the brambles. Should we talk about our guests on today's episode? Yeah. Well, as a testament to how beloved these songs are, these three in particular, Cooling, Never Seen Blue, and Beulah Land, we have another jam-packed episode filled with super fans. And today we're going to hear from Julie Chapel and the wonderful Emily Cousins, who has a really great story about this song. And I can't wait for her to share it with everybody. Same. Should we say hello to our Patreon supporters? Yeah. Hi. Hello. Hello. We only have one new Patreon supporter from last week when we released Cooling, and it is the wonderful Chris Lewis. We only have one, and they're definitely the best one. And they've probably seen Blue. Chris Lewis. Chris Blewis? This episode's for you, Chris. Chris never seen Blewis? As usual, we send love and thanks to all our Patreon supporters, old and less old, new and less new. Classic and contemporary. Yeah, exactly. Modern and classic. Hmm. And of course, we would never see Blue without the wonderful Shay Stymac, our archivist, our librarian, our lady in blue, Shay. She can play too, our lady in blue. I've never Shane Blue. Never Shane Blue. Never Shane Blue. That's me doing the backing vocal. (laughs) 
Like the blues shade drives. I said I've never shade eyes. Like the blues shade drives. Uh-huh. Thank you, Shay, so much for everything that you do. Can't wait to see you on the road. Should we get started? Yep. Should we just get to it? I mean, it's up to you, David, really. This is your party. Don't just stand there. Let's get to it. Strike a pose. There's nothing to it. Blue. 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 Here's a cover of Never Seen Blue. It's perhaps our favorite cover of Never Seen Blue, and it is Nevy Sticks on YouTube. We'll link to it in our show notes at songsoftoryamus.com. Some boy to take me by the hand Through an elevator a little red line that tells you like that it's am, a, I, am i over here it's a b-side oops uh either either way here? there you go i think you find it on a... flip it around <laughs> i i can never get them from the right angle um you know i think it's coming out it's on import from england but mm-hmm. on this to be honest with you i think i'm gonna put out a double box set um the live so many people about? yeah for the, with the B-sides, because mm-hmm. so many people have asked me about B-sides they can't get, and they get really kind of upset about it and frustrated, and, mm-hmm. you know, they have to pay triple the price, and it's a drag. So I just think I'm going to put all the B-sides out. Sounds Make like a it easy. Idea. Great idea. Um, okay, so it's um, tonight at the new arena in Oakland. Yeah. Is this the first time you've ever played? It? Well, obviously, because you always do small clubs. Yeah. Uh, first time I've ever played the, this thing in Oakland. This um, thing. Can we talk in a, maybe one more song? Oh boy. Maybe. Well, a request? Okay, is there a request? Um, how about Cornflake Girl? No, I can't do that. Can't do that one? <laughs> okay, um, let me do another B side. Okay. Okay. I'll let you pick the request. I'm just in a B side mood. She's a B side girl today. Welcome back, David. Thank you. How was your break? It was good. And while we were on our break, I realized that you asked me a question that I didn't really answer, which was, when was the first time I heard this song? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and we ended up talking about the album art, so... <laughs> Great. That's okay. A story in two parts. Part two. Here it comes. When was the first time you heard this song, David? Well, as I was saying, I was at a show on the Plugged 98 tour, and we went and got the single. 
And I think this was one of those rare instances when we didn't know far in advance that there were extra B-sides that she'd recorded. And maybe, I don't know, do you remember how soon before this was released, we got the track listing and we were like, what? What is this? What are these songs? I feel like it was like a week. I think you're right. You tell your story and I'll confirm with a dent. So yeah, we went and bought the single. I think we listened to it maybe even at a meet and greet or when we were driving between shows and it was a nice gift to be in the midst of a tour, to be on tour and to still be getting releases with new material, that's pretty magical. And this was a rare Choir Girl era song that was just piano and vocal. And you know I love that. Yeah, and that's your thing. That's your thing. That's your wheelhouse. Yeah, that's my thing. So what, we'd had Merman, Cooling, and Never Seen Blue. I'm not really counting Jackie because it has strings, but yeah. To answer your question, David, it actually was more than a week before, although it did feel like Maybe because the tour was happening, everything was happening so fast. You know, there's a lot going on. Yeah, and we didn't have constant internet access on our phones. Yeah. We had to like go to a Kinko's if we were on the road. So it was easy to miss things. But it said that on August 5th, 1998, and this is thanks to the Dent and Mike Wise extensive chronicling of Tori's early career, Tori revealed the B-sides that would be on the single in an online chat with TV Jen on August 5th, 1998. There are two songs that were written for the 1996 Boys for Pele album, but never made it on that release the b-sides are both on the enhanced cd single and the cassette single here's the track listing jackie strength never seen blue beulah land but let's be clear he says right here and so does tori in this online chat with tv jen there are two songs that were written written for the boys for paley album not recorded it doesn't say recorded mm-hmm. sure doesn't let's get the stars out of our eyes people get the stars out of our eyes i want like a windshield rubbing noise then who am i to tell people to take the stars out of their eyes you're the host of this show you can gently suggest things people don't have to do it fine you can do whatever you want people <laughs> various tory files including chris johnson and amilica have informed me that the b-side never seen blue has been heard before in an early form track eight listed as unreleased song on a bootleg called goddess is actually a portion of never seen Blue. I love all those titles. I know. Goddess. Goddess. And unreleased also just song. unreleased song. Yeah. That was on February 5th, 1996. And again, we heard Cooling for the first time in concert. Kind of like that. We heard Never Seen Blue for the first time on a radio appearance on February 5th, 1996 as an intro to Sugar on WNEW. And here it is right here. My B's stuck, so I have to change keys. Hang on. Finally be that woman that's been frozen 
so that was the first time we ever heard even a little bit of Never Seen Blue. To me, it sounds like she's not finished with a song. Obviously, some lines have changed since then, and it doesn't feel like there's a second verse. But it's interesting to note how she goes right into Sugar, because we talked about on our Sugar episode how Sugar seems to be a signal for Mark now. Molasses, Sugar... Yeah, for sure. And we know Never Seen Blue is about Mark, so it's just an interesting link. What do you think? Yeah, I agree that Sugar represents Mark. And going into the song, I think we're probably also going to, or I'm going to anyway, be making the argument that Blue also represents Mark, and it shows up. I don't want to argue, David. Okay, well, we'll just say that it's true then and not argue about it for once. That sounds good to me. No more conflict. God, you know what? And I do agree with you. I'm not even just saying it. Unity. So that was February 5th, 1996. The day before, February 4th, 1996, on Modern Rock live, Tori performed an improv that she named in the moment for Mark. Yeah. And let's play a little of this, especially the end. Okay. Tori Amos is with us. I'm on a rock live. Can we ask you to do another song for us? Uh, yeah. But I'm not going to ask you what song until after. Yeah, because I don't know. Yeah, that's okay. That's cool. Tori Amos here on Modern Rock Live, live from Electric Lady, and the title of that song? I don't know. 
It just happened. Um, for Mark, how's that? Love that. I have a lot to say about this. Again, the blue appears, mm-hmm. and then she says it's called Four Mark. Mm-hmm. Uh, consistency is what we want on this show, Tori Amos, and you've done it. Thank you. Also, can I just say, I love when Tori works herself up into a frenzy over nothing, like she does. <laughs> over in this, something exciting. In this improv. <laughs> I feel like this is kind of like a snapshot of what Tori is like at Starbucks, too. They're like, okay, great. <laughs> like, can I get a name for that order? Tori, okay, do you need room? And she's like, no, but I'll take a sugar. Only one. Ah, ah. It's like, calm. Jesus. I asked for almond milk. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I get mad, too, when they put dairy in my coffee order. Come well, on. Well, yeah, but you have an allergy of sorts you have an intolerance <laughs> it's not just because like you're being persnickety and difficult like it's a health issue yeah it's a health issue i'm very healthy mm-hmm. but i don't know not to get too far into this debate or argument again but i just feel like if she had to be clear when she first starts talking about these songs she says written not record dead during the boys for pele era you know cooling is one thing but i don't think that something like never seen blue would ever really have been in consideration for an inclusion on an album whether it be Pele or Choir Girl so I just feel like if she had in fact recorded it already we would have gotten this instead of like Amazing Grace Till the Chicken yeah or Sister Named Desire I don't think this would have been on the album like why would she sit on this and then give us those random I just don't think that that happened but uh, anyway and even though we'll discover like in the live section and she does say like it was supposed to be on Paley but again that doesn't mean recorded right I can really see this song honestly ending Pele like not the way Pele was eventually born but like I can see when you're charting like this is a a novel about a relationship that you want to end where you found the one right like I can see it being maybe in consideration to be closer to the end but then like maybe she couldn't get it together in time or like it just wasn't coming or whatever but I can see that the two disputing ideas live in harmony somehow yeah and let's keep in mind you know songs kind of straddle different eras move around all the time for example she has said like sugar and here in my head we're possibly going to be on Under the Pink but she doesn't mean like I traveled into the future and retrieved them from 1994 when I had recorded them for Under the Pink and then put them (laughs) out for Little Earthquake so and she even was talking like as the Under the Pink sessions were starting that she was maybe going to rework Sugar and Sugar did eventually get reworked in 98 you Mm -hmm. know so like here we go yeah she could have reworked it but instead we got only one sugar (laughs) (laughs) I said no whipped cream (laughs) okay also, I need to ask, speaking of working blue, if you will, when she says one-armed sports, what do you think she means? Oh, you know what she means. I don't know. Is that an act of self-love or is it bowling? You know what she means. She says he's good at one-armed sports and you know what that means. I, do I need to explain everything? Am I going to have to, on the Walk to Dublin episode, explain what a sheet machine is to you, David? Maybe. I'm a babe in the woods. I'm just a lady. I know. I was listening to the last episode, Cooling, as I was editing it, and you are very pearl-clutchy whenever anyone mentions Tori Amos and sex or drinking. Is that true? Yeah. No way she's ever gotten drunk. Yeah, she talks about wine every single interview, but she's never been drunk. How dare you suggest? I don't think I said she's never been drunk. I've seen her. scandalized. I've seen her drunk at a show. <laughs> she kissed you on the lips, yeah. David. Oh, well, that's not even what I was thinking of, but you're right. But I well. think <laughs> on the San Diego show, the 98 show where she did Father Lucifer <laughs> for me, um, she seemed like a little <laughs> on stage, like she'd had some drinks before the show, which she says she doesn't do that, but I don't know. Well, I mean, I know she said she doesn't do it, and I'm pretty confident that she doesn't usually do it, but of course, sometimes I've been to work after a long lunch, you know, 
and I've had a couple. Mm-hmm. I don't usually go to work drunk, but... But it does happen. It can. It does happen. Tell me about the first time you saw Blue and heard it. You know, I had never seen Blue until the first time. And the first time, you know that I'm team band, especially in 98, I'm team band, right? So I'd like you to picture September 15th, 1998, where I've lived with Choir Girl for several months, right? And I'm loving all the bootlegs that are coming out of the club tour, of the plug tour. And then we get the single that is like the ballad of the record with two piano vocal only tracks, which I know you love, David. You don't have to be so accusatory about it. I know you love it. (laughs) It took me a while. Like, these were growers and not showers for me. Like, it took me a while to really find the uh, beauty in both of them, in Never Seen Blue and Beulah Land, which, of course, I love now. And I love it for the sentimental reason of why she wrote it, you know. But the whole single for me was a little forgettable in the time of the band, you know. Yeah, plus it's in that cardboard sleeve that you can just lose in your car. Exactly. And I didn't even want to play it that often because I was afraid I would break it or I I was afraid I'd rip the paper or get it like dirty or the tray would break. I hated that packaging. That single is as fragile as your emotions. (laughs) Oh, you're right. So this song actually was officially released for the first time on September 15th, 1998, as we said, on the Jackie Strength Enhanced CD single with the video for Jackie Strength embedded into the disc. If I remember correctly, the video for Raspberry Swirl as well. So that's exciting. Embedded. I've tried to pry it out. Can't do it. Can't do it. I broke it in half. It wasn't in there. No. (laughs) The song next appears on one of the original bootlegs recorded in Manchester, United Kingdom on June 5th, 2005. And yes, for those wondering, I was there. In Manchester, England, England? Across the Atlantic Sea. Mm. I was a genius genius. You know that frog that's fucking number one? It's now in my goddamn throat. you know did someone request this song at that show i don't know if it was a request david but i do have context on that moment we just played you ready yep contextualize me contextualize this pete lambert wrote in his review of that show when she played never seen blue he said after a couple of minutes tori apologizes for having that fucking crazy frog that's at number one in her throat crazy frog being a mobile phone ringtone that is now number one in the uk singles chart yes really croaking axel f it has swept europe like nothing since the black death without the redeeming features so then she resumes never seen blue which is lovely so let's play that crazy frog ringtone what's going on That's what she's talking about. Mm. And incidentally, that's my new ringtone for Priya because she's British. I feel like it's a safe bet that this was a request. I feel like this is one of those songs that she kind of forgets about or she considers it like a secret sonic selfie between her and Mark until someone asks for it. And they're like, Tori, I've never seen Never Seen Blue. And she's like, okay, okay, I can play that for you. That's not how I feel about this song at all. Really? Although normally I would agree. Yeah, no, I feel like this song is always 
an apology of some kind. <laughs> like <laughs> to Mark. Yeah. This song consistently appears at least once on almost every tour. It's not really missed a tour. And we'll get into that in the live section, which is surprising for a rarity, right? And it's usually paired with like a Pele track. I just feel like this is a secret message to Mark every time she plays it. Mm. That's how I feel. Whether it's an apology or not, it's like a message to him. But what you said apology originally. Why did you say that? Just curious. Because sometimes it comes after songs that are clearly not about Mark. <laughs> you oh, know? I don't know if that's an apology so much as like, don't worry, don't worry. You're special too. Here. Yeah, exactly what I mean. But it all worked out in the end. That's the place this song takes. And can I just say, by the way, that was a comment, not a criticism, because I fully... <laughs> understand the need for that. I had a similar conversation today where I was like, just tell me I'm the most special. I didn't get a song, but I got reassurance. (laughs) Oh, well, that's cute and healthy. Um, Are you being sarcastic? (laughs) Never. Oh, no. The song next appears on the bonus B-side disc E from Up Piano, released in September 2006, and it was remastered. Yes. next time we hear this song is on not one but two legs and boots a leg and a boot here's syracuse new york october 13 2007 and here's clearwater florida november 20th 2007 I like that. I like when boots come in pairs, and if they both happen to be blue, all the better. You know what? I'm going to tell you one of my greatest shames, and I can't believe I'm speaking this on air, but I don't like when boots come in pairs, or shoes for that matter, because one of my feet is a half size bigger than the other. Mm-hmm. So one of my feet thrives in an 11 and a half, and the other foot thrives in a 12. Mm, we want them to thrive, not just survive. Yeah. My feet have got a soul, but I sure don't. I always have to mix and match pairs. Mm. Yeah. So I thought you were going to say you're kind of like Punky Brewster in terms of your fashion sense, and you like to mismatch things and not wear the same oh, <laughs> shoes no, no, no. on both feet. No, no, no. I do my mismatching in the store. Mm. I will always pull like a 12, and they never notice. So if someone's out there with a 12 left and an 11 and a half right. Oh, man. It's your fault. Yeah. Sorry. Like, I need a size 12 for my foot and a size 10,000 for my ass. Exactly. Should we get to the quotes, David? Okay. This is from TV Guide Online Chat, August 5th, 1998. Beska asks, do you ever write songs that don't fit in with the rest of the album? What do you do with them? And Tori says, on Jackie's Strength, I have two unreleased songs that are coming out as part of the CD single, as part of the Jackie package or the Jackage. (laughs) She should have just said the Jackage. That's a one-armed sport if there ever was one. Obviously, Jackie has won and never seen Blue, and the third track is called Beulah Land. These two songs were also written for Boys for Pele and recorded for it. That's stretching it, Tori Amos. That's stretching it, Gary. 
but they weren't right, so I held them. And now they feel current. They feel like their time is now. Mm -hmm. She's already changing the narrative here. She doesn't even know. She's like, they are written, they're recorded. One's called Blula Land. One's never seen Blula. I don't know. Never seen Beula. Never seen Blula. Blula. Um, (laughs) This is why, and if you took offense on our last episode that we're not necessarily trusting Tori Amos with her own legacy, it's because of these conflicting comments. Yeah. I feel like there's a reason for this, and it's financial in nature. I can't be any more specific than that, but I feel like for some (laughs) reason she needed to establish, maybe because of like studio time or I don't know, (laughs) however like Atlantic was paying for that church rental, (laughs) because this reminds me of when she started saying later on, like, no, 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 I don't live in the UK. I'm just a visitor. This is Mark's house. Like she had some tax thing going on. I feel like something similar is happening here, and suddenly she's being like a little sketch. (laughs) Yeah, well, that happened with Welcome to England, and like we can talk about it then when we get there okay. we're, we're just around the corner we're just around the corner why don't you read this from the metro uk september 16th 2011 okay i'm gonna write on the metro and read it you're very into your spiritual eroticism how does that work for a married woman as a married woman i made a commitment to someone fantastic i like being in a monogamous relationship i made that commitment after not necessarily being monogamous with other people but once i met husband Marcali, it was love at first sight for me It wasn't for him, but that's okay. He was a front of house sound engineer. So you slept with the staff? Yes. I won him round with patience, and by keeping the way I felt secret for 10 months, I had my beady eye on his calves as he walked around in shorts and caterpillar boots. I knew my world was going to turn upside down, and I love turning my little blue world upside down. I was about to buy a house with another guy when I saw him walk in the room. I was at the piano, and a whole group of people walked in, and I saw him, and my heart stopped. I called one of my friends and she said, girl, it's over for you. If you buy that house, keep the receipt. I think it was Karen Bins. That sounds like Karen Bins. Yeah. Then my thing fell apart and his fell apart, all without me saying anything. And finally, we were at the same place at the same time. Let's take a pause there because that's actually really beautiful. If she didn't say anything, and I've never known that Mark had a thing before. She says, my thing fell apart and then his thing fell apart. Yeah, what was his thing? Exactly. Like he must have been in a previous relationship and it just like worked out. And I I mean, obviously it's kismet. It's how it was meant to be. I just think that's really beautiful, especially if she was so committed to someone else. I guess, but I just think this is a dangerous lesson. Why? Like keep secrets. Don't tell anyone how you feel about them. Just wait it out. Put an offer in on a house. Don't tell the person that you're maybe buying property with that you have feelings for someone else. I don't know. This doesn't sound great to me. She said that she was about to buy a house with someone else when he walked into the room. Mm. So that's why. Do you think she saw him at the open house? No, obviously at the beginning of tour, at the beginning of the rehearsals for tour. Right, right. David, get it together. (laughs) (laughs) The interviewer continues. And so you jumped him? No. I brought him a cup of tea and I said, I think I have a crush on you. And he said... There's only one answer to that, a date. We went out to dinner and he got a migraine. Typical. Oh my God. Calm down with your migraine. I have to wash my hair. I mean, I have a migraine. I mean, either way, I just can't do it. Did you believe that he had a migraine? He looked at me and said, bloody hell, I can't believe this is happening. I got him a cold cloth put it on his head, put him to bed, and sat on the couch. The next day, it all changed. We went on a picnic and have been together ever since. It'll be 17 years this October. Honestly, I'm not going to lie. That's awesome. Good for her. Good for him. What's awesome? That she has some sort of like caretaker thing? 
know that like you know when you have a really good first date story i don't know it's a nice marker of like later yeah i don't know this is kind of a meet cute yeah and obviously they'd been working together already for 10 months so they were on some level comfortable with each other you know it's just like a series of foibles it's just adorable mm. honestly i'm not gonna lie mm-hmm. i like people to be happy david yeah it's perfect in its imperfection just like me oh also how did they establish that tori is very into her spiritual eroticism did she bring that energy to the interview and they were like damn um i think they listened to little earthquakes under the pink boys for pele from the choir Girl hotel to venus and back everything what year was this interview 2011 keep going oh yeah so they'd heard the beekeeper definitely heard the beekeeper oh you want me to keep going huh strange little girl scarlet's walk the beekeeper american doll posse normally attracted to sin midwinter graces mm. night of hunters sin pilabras gold dust sin pilabras but mostly the beekeeper like you said right they were like <laughs> yeah. damn that sting it is sweet and don't get me started on those orange <laughs> knickers powerful those butterflies, they are sleeping. Mm, I would sleep with those butterflies. I'd nap the crap out of them. <laughs> that Martha's ginger is foolish. Wait a second. That sensuality is original. This is a legitimate question, and I'm kind of embarrassed to say, and I guess this further exposes the pearl clutcher in me. It's actually never occurred to me that sleeping with butterflies didn't mean actual, like, slumber. Oh. That sleeping with is also perhaps sexual. <laughs> really, David? So which one is it? I think it's both. I think it's... uh she sleeps with butterflies like the men she chooses are butterflies they're caterpillars that have become butterfly like you know i don't think it's uh what does that mean though they don't belong in nets no that they are beautiful that they are unique and untamable and wild and completely beautiful david Torimus has had sex before she has a daughter no I know. She's done a lot of research on Maryism and Immaculate Conception. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not convinced that Tosh is anything but the product of Immaculate Conception. Tori only right. sleeps with butterflies. <laughs> you do think of her as your mother because you know when it, you just don't want to think of your parents having sex. I definitely don't. You know that TikTok? Here, I'll play it here. Are you crying? You would be dead right now if you heard it. What did you hear? What did you hear? Nothing. What's the problem? Nothing. Ugh. There's no problem whatsoever. Are you sure you didn't hear mom and dad sex? <laughs> oh, three times. <laughs> three times. Oh my God. Three times. <laughs> Oh, I love playing a TikTok in an episode. You sure do. Should we get to the line by line? Okay. Some boy you are to take me by the hand. Mm. We begin the song and there's already an act of PDA, which when it happens, like when some boy takes you by the hand, it's like the sweetest thing, right? Especially if you're not expecting it, especially if he's like, I've had this guy in my life who used to, when I would like go through a door, like go around a corner, he would like gently guide my shoulder, you know, not like in a pushy way, but like we're going this way kind of. It was just the sweetest. It's the sweetest thing. It really is so sweet. So I already feel the love here. Mm. What about you? I also feel like, I think Tori would probably acknowledge that she can be a lot. (laughs) Yeah, she has acknowledged it. And I think this is her way of saying that. Like, you've kind of agreed to take me on. Like, marry me? Yeah. Marry me, be in a relationship with me, whatever it is. 
Yeah, so you think that to take me by the hand is her version of, like, take my hand in marriage? Yeah, let's hear what you think of me now. Here, take hold of my hand. Let's hear what you think of me now. Silent all, you know, Tori Amos, silent all these years. Well, I never, I mean, that's a really interesting perspective because I never considered it. To me, it was the simple act of taking her hand, just the awe of that all, just the sweetness of him doing that, the pride that he has in being with her. I'm just accessing for some reason back in high school, my very first boyfriend, Dwayne, there was nothing more exciting to me at that time than taking his hand or like hugging and kissing him in public. And the fact that he would do that and was willing to do that, it was just really like a phenomenal thing Mm. because that was back in a day when it was really hard to be out in public like that. But the fact that he didn't mind or wasn't afraid to do it. And then later when I dated my second boyfriend, Dwayne, a different Dwayne, who was like a year younger than me, he was much smaller than me and he was constantly harassed more than I ever was and I remember taking him by the hand and like always wanting to hold his hand and being like don't worry I'm gonna protect you like no one's gonna say anything to you I don't know there was like a pride in that for me so it never occurred to me that she might be talking about marriage that's sweet there's something very affectionate and kind of chaste about it Mm -hmm. but in this case I think the hand holding could be literal and figurative in all cases with a Tori Amos lyric through an elevator through an elevator This makes it, to me, literal, that he held her hand to guide her into the elevator. Mm -hmm. The way I mentioned my ex, like, guided me through the doors and stuff. Yeah. So I feel like maybe that line just, like, came to her in that moment. Or maybe she was doubting her choreo on the set of Raspberry Swirl, and he held her hand on the elevator in between takes and was like, no, you've got moves. You got (laughs) Mm -hmm. this, girl. Yeah. (laughs) That must be it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Got a little red light that tells you Got a little red line that tells you, boy, where the razor's been. I've always thought of this line as like a suicide attempt. What about you? Yeah, me too. And if not something as extreme as a suicide attempt, there is an element of self-harm to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you hear this line, got a little red line that tells you, boy, where the razor's been. Is that line on her wrist? Is that line on her leg? I've heard interpretations where it's like a shaving, like she shaves her legs. Yeah, I was thinking about that too. I always picture it on the arm or the wrist. You do? I do. And again, we're never going to know like how literal this is or isn't, and it doesn't really matter. But I'm also just thinking about the fact that they really got involved during Boys for Pele and that Mm -hmm. he was, you know, obviously there during the recording of the album. So I feel like in some ways, this is a way of saying like, you've seen me at my worst when I was really in it. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Got a little red light that tells you Is there any way, David, I just want to, I want to put something out there. Is there any way that the little red line that tells him where the razor's been, is there any way that that could be a reference to the me and a gun incident? Because, you know, she's said in the press that it was actually a knife. And even in 2007, when she's on stage, when she does it with the band, obviously she pulls out a gun, but she pulls out a knife first, right? And I'm wondering if this is not a reference to like, because we'll see in the live section that she pairs it with me and a gun the very first time she plays it. And I wonder if it's like a continuation of that story or like an ending to that story and that he can see, especially the next line being Violator, like he can see what she's been through, he knows who she is, and that might be even the violator that he's talking about for her turning. What do you think? So walk me through it. So is the red line and the razor, is that some sort of like psychic wound as the result of sexual trauma? Yeah, maybe, because obviously she's carrying that stuff around with her. I could see that. And again, that pairing kind of makes sense if you look at it as healing sexual violence in the context Mm -hmm. of a healthy relationship. And maybe that's how she knew he was the one. Mm -hmm. 
But that also speaks of kind of like great vulnerability and mm-hmm. one's interior world, maybe. And that indicates to me that he sees everything. Like she is not hiding anything from him. Yeah. And that he's able and willing and happy to love her. Yes, totally. Even though she's carrying around that psychic wound, as you said, which mm. is beautiful to say it. Mm. And like you said, we'll never know the extent of the literalness of it, but it's important for the character in the song, the narrator in the song, like you have to understand that she's been through that muck because he does save her in the song, I think. Yeah. And obviously kind of choosing the wrong people or pursuing destructive or even abusive relationships is a form of self-harm. And Tori has acknowledged Mm -hmm. that she was engaged in that kind of behavior during the Pele era. And at one point, Mark took her aside and was like, why are you doing this? Why are you going after men like this? And she was like, oh, right. So I feel like that's a way of saying that in this lyric. He took her aside and said that or said this. You said, girl, if you think you can turn that violator, you'll finally be that woman. Yes, finally be that woman that's been frozen in that pretty silver gill. Yes. You said, girl, if you think you can turn that violator, you'll finally be that woman. Finally be that woman that's been frozen in that pretty silver gown. To me, what you just said, he took her aside and was like, why are you doing this? That's this moment. 100%. Uh Can we act that out for a second? Yeah, sure. I love a scene. Yes. I love a good scene. As if this was like the actual words that he spoke. And he wasn't Mm -hmm. like, Tori, why are you dating these guys who aren't good for you? He was like, girl... If you think you can turn that violator, you'll finally be that woman. Yes, finally be that woman that's been frozen in that pretty silver gown. Yes. And she was like, oh, shit, he's right. (laughs) Do it again. I need more commitment, David. And I need you to give me room. I'm going to improv some things. Okay, am I mad? Am I concerned? No, no, no. You're concerned. You're serious. Okay, I'm picturing, I can't see you right now, but I'm imagining looking directly at you, not even Tori, you. Okay. And I'm like putting my hand on your shoulder, maybe like running it down your arm. Mm. And like, girl. Yes. Girl, if you think you can turn that violator, you'll finally be that woman. Yes. Which woman? That woman. Which woman? Finally be that woman that's been frozen in that pretty silver gown. Yes. (gasps) Thank you. Uh And scene. (laughs) (laughs) That was beautiful. I think we should turn that into a short film. Okay. You said good if you think you can turn that violator. Finally be that woman, yes. Finally be that woman that's been frozen in that pretty silver gown. Yeah. To me, this is really powerful where it's someone sees you, you know, someone actually sees you, not only just sees you for who you are, but like sees that you are being self-destructive and can call you on it. And it's, it takes a certain person that can call you on your bullshit and you still love them. I don't know. Some people call me on my bullshit and it's like, get out of my life. Like Some people call me on my bullshit and I trust and respect them so much that I have no choice but to see my bullshit, you know? And I think that it's important this moment. It, I mean, it's a very obviously a very pivotal moment in their relationship. And it feels to me like he's offering himself as a way to help her turn the violator, you know, change the narrative, you know, take it out of that negative place and really make something beautiful out of it grow up. I'm imagining Julia Roberts and my best friend's wedding when she's like, choose me, marry me. I love you. 
I've loved you for nine years. I've just been too arrogant and scared to realize it. And, well, now I'm just scared. So I, I, I realize this comes at a very inopportune time, but I really have this gigantic favor to ask of you. Choose me. Marry me. Let me make you happy. <laughs> yeah. But he's basically telling her, not like grow up in like a negative way, but you'll finally be that woman. That woman. You've been frozen in a silver gown, maybe whatever silver gown means to her, whether it's the precious things prom dress that she wore and that she had a pretty silver gown or whatever, like frozen in her childhood or frozen in her young ladiness. Now she'll finally be that woman. She was a lilac mess in her prom dress. Well, you're right. That prom dress was lilac, mm-hmm. but maybe it was lilac and silver. Yo, no. The Precious Things dress is peach. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, maybe it was peach and silver. You don't know. <laughs> That's true. I don't. So by turn that violator, do you think that means essentially like change a man? If you think you can... No, turn that violator to me means obviously Tori had... We've heard me in a gun and we've heard her interviews. She had some work to do there and she's still in 94 96 playing that song every night i feel like turn that violator and the reason this got paired the very first time it was ever played was paired with me in a gun and i think it's because he helped her shift the narrative of what a man is and what actual love can be in a bedroom and that's what i think turn that violator means turn that violation turn sex into something positive i think you're probably right and i just have to say maybe you know my perception is being colored by the fact that there's a depeche mode album called violator yeah which is just so gothy Mm -hmm. i have to i don't know if i'm gonna regret this but i don't know if this is another instance of maybe trent reznor being woven into a song because i could see her like nicknaming him the violator or thinking of him as like this gothy you know dark prince squire of dimness whatever for sure. And that still follows what I was saying, because up until Mark, she's got a negative, not ne- a negative association with sex, but there's still a lot of stuff around her in that area, you know? Yeah. And even if whatever happened or didn't happen between her and Trent Reznor, obviously wasn't good, <laughs> you know? So mm-hmm. he's part of the violation. But I, I always do think of Depeche Mode as well when she Mm -hmm. says that it's just such a good word too violator yeah violator Mm -hmm. yeah i mean not it's not a good word but like rolls off the tongue violator Mm -hmm. unless she had some beef with dave gahan who knows well if she did she probably wouldn't be covering enjoy the silence and personal jesus but she changed the words and enjoy the silence when she gets beefy you know it yeah (laughs) she'll drop a brambles bridge and like shit talk morrissey like nobody's business so yeah And I've never seen blue like the blues he drives. Never seen blue. Okay, so when these lyrics were originally published to The Dent, you know how every time we'd hear a song like leak or without lyrics, like on a single, people would like speculate what the lyrics were. Mm-hmm. And that's why we needed that lyrics book in 2001 so bad. Because obviously it's, I've never seen blue like the blues he drives. But when it was first published on the dent, it was bluesy drives. I've never seen blue like the bluesy drives. Like a bluesy drive? Like the drives that we take that are bluesy. Yeah. You know, we got a little Billy Holiday on. Yeah. Our bluesy drives. We're probably in that like cornflake girl truck. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe even a dilapidated Mustang. Mm-hmm. We got a story of O in the bucket seat of our dilapidated Mustang. Mm. Obviously, she's talking about his eyes, right? Does Mark have blue eyes? 
Doesn't he? I don't know. I try not to make direct eye contact. I've always assumed. <laughs> if he doesn't have blue eyes, I have no idea what the song is about. What do you think it's about? Well, it's not about his eyes? Like And I've never seen eyes like the blues he drives. You know, we've talked about blue when it shows up in songs, possibly representing Mark. Blue is usually a masculine color. So we think Mark is blue, Mark is guitars, Mark is sugar, sugar cane. God, Mark is a lot. He's got a lot of metaphors and symbols working for him. So I think maybe blue is Mark's masculinity. He also is like a deep well or an ocean, maybe a feeling. Well, that's true that he can't always express. He smokes to cry. And even in recent press for Ocean to Ocean, Tori has said that Mark's actions speak when his words cannot. And she's good at talking about how he feels, whereas he isn't. So I feel like Blue kind of just encapsulates that depth that he is. I agree that Blue is all of those things and encapsulates the depth that she finds in her husband. But I have confirmed with Google, <laughs> he does have blue eyes. Okay, so very good. We're both right. Mm -hmm. And that's maybe why he encapsulates all that stuff. The water, the ocean, the depth of the ocean, things like that. Because he has blue eyes. You know, that's like a natural link in her mind. Mm-hmm. I also believe that Strange is primarily about Mark or their relationship. I'm not prepared to speak on Strange today, David. That's okay. No, it's not. You're like, I'll speak on it on my own. But if, you know, we're focused on Mark's eyes, in Strange she sings, thought I'd read a change in your eyes, but also blue isn't red. Everybody knows this. It's true, Tori. We do know that. Well, that's actually really interesting because she's delineating that they are different people by that point. Mm -hmm. Blue isn't red. Like, he isn't me. I am not him. You think she's the red? Yeah, of course. She's always red in her songs. She also has that little red line. Oh, God, you're so right. Mm, Scarlet. I feel like we could put all of our thoughts into like a Tory bot and just write her next album. Yeah. Like the next one post Ocean Ocean. We'll just give her the lyrics and just have her record. She'll be like, oh my God, these are amazing. We're not sure that that's not what she's doing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when she comes out with a song called Mock a Sin, then I'll know she's copying me. Uh, uh -huh. I'm not getting bothered to argue with you anymore. I wrote that joke and I can't believe you. Never give me credit for it. Anyway. We wrote that joke together. Okay, fine. We each took a shoe. We each took a moccasin, a slipper. So not to get too far off. On to strange, but I never really thought about blue isn't red as Tori saying he isn't me. I just thought it meant like he has shown me who he is, or I know who this person is. Well, and when someone shows you who they are, you should believe them that they can't change or they're not going to change. So, anyway, yeah, he can't change into what I want him to be. Blue mm -hmm. isn't me, he isn't me. Blue isn't red. Why would she want to date herself? Well, you know, people always want to change people the way they think they should be. Mm but it never will happen, you know? To me, this sentiment, though, is just like a really beautiful statement. Like, he can see through me, he can see me for who I am, and I've never been so in love or so captivated by someone's eyes as I am by this man. Mm -hmm. To me, it's as simple as that. But I think also I've never experienced this depth of love and intimacy in a relationship. Yeah, all of it. All of it. You're like, but mostly he has blue eyes. That, I don't mean it just superficially on the surface. I mean, like, whatever. It's fine. Some boy to wear my color red. 
some boy you are to wear my color red. So she's red. There's that red again. Yeah. I mean, this could be many things. This could just be some boy you are to be proud to be seen with me or to be proud to be married to me or connected to me or to want to do all of those things. Red could be fire. Some boy you are to help me process boys for Pele to like work with me through that. Some boy you are to walk through the fire with me and do so proudly, you know? Mm. What do you think? I also wonder if to some extent that could mean, for lack of a better way to put it, to kind of take a back seat or let me have the spotlight and be kind of the alpha or the breadwinner in the relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. Like instead of her wearing his blue, he's wearing her red. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that you're secure enough in yourself and in your masculinity to not feel threatened by that. Which I think is reflected in. To wear it very proudly. Wear it like a lady. To wear it very proudly, wear it like a lady. Mm. Like you're proud to be with me and like you're secure enough in your own being to be behind Tori Amos. Yeah. To be employed by her, to let me be the breadwinner, exactly Mm -hmm. like you said. Mm -hmm. To wear it very proudly. Wear it like a lady. Knows how to cross the legs with a booty's bin like a lady knows how to cross her legs where the birdie's been i just love that phrase that phrasing and that before and after you know where the birdie's been where it like a lady knows how to cross her legs you know because it's two thoughts in one where it like a lady and a lady knows how to cross her legs where the Mm -hmm. birdie's been we obviously know what the bird is though i can't wait to hear your non-sexualized idea of what the birdie is but go ahead what if it's an actual bird or what if it's just oh my God. the empty cage now that she's killed the bird but what does the birdie represent i think obviously the bird represents the cock the bird golly the cock the cock that's where it, it, that's what a bird is do you not listen to cha-cha heels podcast i don't oh i listen to kitten heels there. So, knows how to cross her legs where the birdie's been. What does that mean to you? Is that like a defensive crossing? Or does crossing her legs kind of just represent like a shift and a different way of thinking about sex now? I don't know. Oh, that's interesting because I've never thought of it defensively. Just like that she has a secret. You know how she said that she's not always been in monogamous relationships, but she actually now enjoys monogamy? Yeah. That to me is that shift. Yeah. Shift is a good word. I'm also thinking of the way she pivots towards the audience and crosses her legs when she starts leather. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of playful and sultry. And maybe this line is kind of like a nod to her past and the fact that she's kind of closing that chapter and now she's married and in this committed monogamous relationship. Yeah. She's crossing her legs. Mm -hmm. Like, boom done closed yeah Yeah. i love it so we can acknowledge and agree that the birdie is the male sex organ oh yeah i mean i'm not gonna argue otherwise just because you're sick of arguing Mm -hmm. because i'm right plus you know when tori tells stories before icicle or when she did on the under the pink tour and she's like you know girls when you're making like birds with your hands and you're like wow so this isn't the first time birdie has meant something sexual to her It's true. Bye bye, Birdie. <laughs> My favorite sex musical. <laughs> and you have a lot of favorite sex musicals. Like how to succeed in biznatch without really trying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love you. You're perfect. Now fuck me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Can we start writing porn parody musicals? Yeah. Please. <laughs> into the morning wood. <laughs> Ooh, into the morning wood. Yeah, I love it. Never seen blue. 
never seen blue like the blues he drives in and around and through me again. Through me. I just love the phrasing. I love how she phrases that. Like he's driving his eyes into her. Mm -hmm. Like he, I don't know. Again, let's talk about the link between he's driving his eyes and cars and guitars. You know, like there are symbols for Mark Mm. throughout her catalog that don't change. Right? Yes. Thank you for the validation. I also want to say in and around and through me again makes me think of just kind of like a blending of souls. And even the way mm. when Tori has talked about sexual energy and colors blending together when you're like, I don't know, connecting at a soul level, that's what I think of. This kind of like swirling yeah. around and through her of their energies coming together. And how she's talked in the past about like the sexiest thing she could think of or the most meaningful thing she could think of was to breathe someone in. Mm-hmm. Remember that? Yeah. So the sexiest thing is trust and also breath work. Yeah. <laughs> Never seen eyes like the blues he drives in and around and through me again, through me again, through me. So we end with him inside of her or through her. What do you think of this song now that we've dissected the lyrics? You know what? I had the moment. I have the moment I always strive for and really manage to achieve. I'm like, I love this song. <laughs> yeah, it's really great. It's so beautiful. Like the sentiment is so beautiful. And as a love song in particular, I love it because it's a love song by Tory standards. Like there's nothing obvious yeah, about it. Exactly. It's not like I will always love you by Dolly Parton. <laughs> right. Or like, hello, it's me, Tori. I've been wondering, (laughs) like, I love that too, but it's not, it's not that, so. Yeah. What do you think is your favorite lyrical moment, would you say? I think just, you know, the chorus, I've never seen blue, like the blues he drives in and around and through me again, especially now after we've sort of talked about it as this like intimacy and this blending of energy. I love that. Even if that's not what she is really (laughs) meaning when she sings it. I don't know. What do you think? I love that. I love, I absolutely love the chorus. I still think my favorite line coming into this and and my favorite line coming out of it is still the same. Some boy you are to take me by the hand through an elevator. Mm. I don't know why. I just, yeah. We're all hoping for that guy who's man enough to take us by the hand and walk through life. And then also like some boy you are to wear my color red, wear it very proudly. I don't know. Those two moments are very much the same. Yeah. That it's like someone who's proud to be with you, who is eager and excited to be with you. Because you know, when you're starting a new relationship, you have to like eke out how the other person feels about physical contact in public, you know, especially if you're gay. I mean, not so much anymore. I don't know. It's very, people are very particular about physical contact. Mm. You got to make sure you match in that way. And I don't know when someone is just like takes the lead. Oh my God. I'd love when someone takes the lead. You sure do. I don't even like to push the elevator buttons. Filthy. (laughs) Well, I was going to say they're really dirty. And now in the age of COVID, you don't want to be touching those. You need like a little poker. Exactly. I have a COVID poker to open doors and push buttons. But anyway, I I do it with the corner of my phone. (laughs) I think this song is also a lovely reminder that you are not too much. And if anyone has ever made you feel like you are, they're not the one. Because the right person is going to love you for everything that you are and drive their blues in and around and through you again. Are you talking to the world or to me? Both. You, the world, everyone, anyone who needs to hear it, myself. I live in the world, David. You are not too much for those who can't get enough of you. Mm. But also you can never get enough of what you don't need. God. You can never get enough of what you don't need. That's not true. You can never get enough of what you need. 
right? No, you can definitely have your fill of what you need. But if you go to a buffet and you're trying to fill a hole with food, you're never going to be able to get enough. You're never going to be able to drink enough. Oh, interesting. Serving tea and wisdom. Tea like Tori Amos. Please tip your waitress and your waitress is me. And also your busboy. I'm your busboy. I just keep coming back in different hats. Posted to the Dent by Ukami, a.k.a. Philip, September 1998. I noticed a few people couldn't get the Tori.executable file to work on the recently released Jackie Strength Enhanced CD single. I also could not get it to work on my PC, even after downloading the newest QuickTime 3.0.2 and uninstalling Windows Media Player 5.2, just in case it was messing up. The exact error is it cannot locate QuickTime and refers people to www.apple.com slash QuickTime. Anyways, to bypass the executable file to get what everyone wants to see, that is, the Jackie Strength and Raspberry Swirl videos, all one has to do is in Windows Explorer, go to View, then Folder Options, then View again. Out of the three tabs, look at the advanced settings and change hidden files to show all files. The CD will now show jackie.move, new-dash, audio.wave, rasp.move, readme.txt, and also tori.executable. They can be played using the new Windows Media Player 5.2 or QuickTime 3.0.2 and probably some of the lower ones too. I hope this helps a lot of people without having to waste time getting it to work. Getting a little I'm on fire from this, her cover mm. of I'm on fire. Mm-hmm. Like the way she interpreted it, mm-hmm. <laughs> which makes sense because she's on fire by Mark, you know? It's true. note we are watching the video that yanta posted with this song and it's him actually working on the on the transcription which is really fascinating i don't even know what he's doing but it's amazing it looks like when you edit the show oh i should do like a time lapse of me editing no one wants that no one wants to see you make the sausage the donuts love these low notes you're not going to be there with me but i want a piano vocals only album at some point in tori's career why would i not be there with you because you love the band i do love the band but yeah i i love everything i want something before she retires that really showcases her as a composer and a player not even like string accompaniment necessarily like Night of Hunters original piano vocal only like this 
give it to me. I'm mesmerized as per usual. Listening to the composition with the vocals stripped out, I'm like, gorgeous, beautiful. New appreciation for this song. Yeah, really. And I I mean, this one more than some others follows the vocal melody as well. The piano follows the vocal melody pretty, pretty close. Are you finding that to be the case? Yeah, but it's still really full. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, as always, that was beautiful work by Ayanta. Going back to the I'm on fire, like how similar this intro is, I never really noticed it before until we just heard Yanta, but it is really similar to her cover of I'm on fire. Let's play that intro here. Now next up, we have her performing her version of Bruce Springsteen's I'm on fire. think that it's a purposeful move for her to take that from that song because you know she's obviously on fire for mark and maybe that's what she's saying and also she could steal from herself and she could certainly steal from herself if it's a cover of someone else you know i don't know how intentional it is it kind of sounds like the thing to me where she's i don't know when i use the term noodling it sounds condescending or like i'm devaluing her work oh, she no, was I just she's just noodling on the piano yeah but i could see her playing i'm on fire and it kind of morphing into something else mm. like the intro to this so i don't yeah i don't know if i would call that intentional or not and obviously we don't even know if that's true at all <laughs> if we brought this up to her the similarity she might be like what but what? <laughs> but that could also be the reason she never plays I'm on fire anymore because the way like one song became whatever, maybe I'm on fire became Never Seen Blue. That's true. And she would certainly never play them in the same show because she's probably thinking like, they'll know. They'll know. <laughs> so something interesting, David, is that I believe that was written in A flat major, according to Yanta's transcription on the screen, is what I was able to gather. And I looked up 
some characteristics about the key of A-flat major, and it said on this page that it's the key of the grave. Death, grave, putrefaction, judgment, and eternity lie in its radius. Mm. So I'm going to choose to pull eternity from that as in a marriage, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'll carry the burden of putrefaction. Yeah. We'll carry this love to our grave. Seriously. (laughs) You can support Yanta and listen to all his wonderful work, both Tory covers and originals, at patreon.com slash yanta. You can also go to Figure Tory Out, which is our friend Paul Roy's website. He's compiled 20 years of the Yahoo Group's Figure Tory Out transcriptions that were behind that Yahoo Group wall. So you do have to be a member to get all the transcriptions, but it's free to be a member. So go over there for live stuff, for different versions. You're going to love it. FigureToryOut.com. Paul Roy's not only the president, he's also a member. Exactly. And he owns a harpsichord, which he's left me in his will. Thank God. He did? He did. I'm a pre-harpsichord owner, assuming Paul Roy dies first, which is highly unlikely because he's very young. Mm, Ephraim's dying. Who's got the will? I want to be second in line because I want a harpsichord, even though it's horribly out of tune and he apparently can't find a harpsichord technician to fix it. No, no, no. It's warped. The soundboard of the harpsichord is warped. Oh, no. Pre-Paul Roy. So, yeah, it'll never be able to be fixed unless you buy a whole soundboard, which is the harpsichord itself. But I just want it as a, you know, as a statement piece. You should definitely play Just Bells for Her on it, because now it's like a combination of the harpsichord and the detuned piano from the album. No, that's not what I'm going to do. I'm going to play the beginning of Blood Roses from Unplugged, where it's out of tune already for her. So she's like, and she hits it. That's what I'm going to (laughs) do. Great. What was your favorite musical moment, David? Oh, boy. I'm going to give an E for an answer. All of it. The whole thing. The whole thing is my favorite. It's all just one moment that's three minutes and 45 seconds long. Well, excuse me for loving widely, David. You're generous. Pardon me for being generous with my affection. How about you? I like all of it, I guess. (laughs) I think it's all good. Yeah. I guess you could say Never Seen Blue. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It's a banger. It's a banger. We're on the line with Julie Suzanne, who is a Never Seen Blue super fan. She was also on a previous episode, Sister Named Desire. Welcome back to the show, Julie. Hello, hello. First question, have you ever seen Blue? I have. I can't wait to hear all about it. That song is just otherworldly to me. It's just extravagant. It's my favorite song. It's not just my favorite Tory song. It's probably my favorite song by any artist ever. Okay, okay. I can't even describe it. It's so ethereal. It's so magic. Well, start by telling us your Tory story. Give us context. How did you discover Tory? Where did you come in in her catalog? Tell us everything. Okay, so there was this radio show that played alternative music, and I was a Kate Bush fan before Tory, before I knew who she was. So... Back in late 91, um, I heard Silent All These Years on Lunar Rotation. Um, it was a local radio show here in Texas, and I fell in love. And I've been on this roller coaster ever since. I can't get <laughs> off of it. I'm just on board with her. I, I love the way she's evolved. I love the way her music changes. I try to appreciate every album for what it is. I try to see her purpose in it. I still can't get enough after what... Uh, 91, that's 30 years, Julie. From Little Earthquakes to Ocean Ocean. Yeah, I've been this massive fan for 30 years, and I cannot miss a tour. I can't. I still want to do a whole leg like Mm. you guys do. 
You know what? The first time I ever did that was Native Invader. And like, honestly, obviously the shows are amazing, right? But like to see the tour evolve over time is really a privilege. It's like, I don't ever want to miss it, especially because, you know, she's been touring for 30 years. Who knows how many tours there are left, you know? I recommend doing it if you can. If you can get away with it, do it. You can't really book a tour and expect to sightsee, obviously, because you've got to get rest somewhere. I mean, I'm almost 50, so... I'm lucky if I can do a week without just having to rest from traveling. Right. Well, everybody mocks me or like pities me because I get like three or four hours of sleep a night max. But when it comes to tour, people are envious. People are like, damn. Eventually it catches up with you and you probably have to sleep like a whole day. I I can imagine how much rest she probably needs touring at this age. Yeah, I know. She's a road dog. Exactly. In 92. So the first time I saw her was at this place called Rockefeller's. It it was a small venue. So you've got that kind of small venue feel. And it's just so intimate and amazing. And she did two shows that night. So she started early, like at six o'clock. And then she probably played six hours. Mm. I mean, she took a little break. Then she came back some kind of opening band or something. But she came back out and she did two shows that night. This was 92? Yeah, it was May 1st, I believe. May 1st, 1992. Yeah, at Rockefeller in Houston, Texas. I mean, that was her first tour, and that was my first show, and I haven't missed a tour since, so. Julie, why didn't you bootleg that show? We don't have a bootleg of that show. Oh, (laughs) we need it. I love talking to people who've known Tori since 91. Like, this is such a privilege to talk to you. What's your favorite album? My favorite album is probably Pele. I can't live without Pele. Are you team noun or team verb? Oh, building is a noun. Oh, I love you. And are you team band or team solo? (laughs) Probably solo. I love it. Okay, let's get into Never Seen Blue. What was the first time you heard it? Tell us all about it. So I was one of the freaks that would run downtown to the local record stores every time a CD single came out. Mm -hmm. And she released Jackie's Strength. And I started playing it. And, you know, I like Jackie's Strength and everything. I mean, I appreciate it for what it is. But... Never Seen Blue and Beulah Land were just off the chain for me. I love Beulah Land as much as well, but not quite as much as Never. It didn't catch me like Never Seen Blue. I mean, that is like repeat worthy. I played in my car and I can't just listen to it once. It's got to be like five times at least. Well, do you know why it's so special to you? Is there someone in your life that is that person to you? I mean, the whole story behind it was, I I didn't know the story when I first heard it. I didn't know the story until last tour where she admitted that she wrote it for her husband and they were there in Madison, Wisconsin, and she played it there. I just think it's so, wow, that was her special song for her husband. And I didn't even know it. I was just amazed with the words. It's, It's not a love song. I mean, it doesn't remind me of anybody particular, but if I'm seeing someone, I would probably sing it to them. That's so sweet. Now, what's your favorite lyrical moment? I like the part about the violator, and I like to wear my color red. What does that mean to you? I think the song is about how intimate she feels about her husband and how, in her mind, she's kind of like, that's what love looks like to her. He's wearing her color red. That's what love looks like to her, is Mm. him in, like, the color red, like he's standing in a field or something. Like a blending of their colors? Yeah, and when she says, in and around and through me again, that's just, wow. I can't explain it, but I know you know. You know. Yeah, I get it. Oh, no, I get it. Because you just know, yeah. Yeah, I love hearing super fans talk about their favorite song just because it's like you're simultaneously, all of you, everybody we've ever talked to about their favorite song is simultaneously like speechless and so deep about it. It's a great thing. Do you think this should have made Boys for Pele? Do you think it was recorded in the Pele period or do you think it was recorded in the Choir Girl period? Even though she said she wrote it during Pele, was it recorded during Pele in your opinion? 
I'm going to say she wrote it because back then she was full of songs. Mm -hmm. To me, she would just breathe and a new song came out. Mm -hmm. I mean, so she was just full of songs and it didn't really fit Choir Girl. It definitely kind of fits Pele better, but... This is more of a love, happy song. And, you know, Pele is, let's throw them boys in the fire, you know? Yeah. So I don't think it fit on there either because of the theme of the album. So it still gives me chills and I'm just amazed when I hear it. I listened to it on the original bootlegs as well. There's a couple shows she played it in, but the studio version, I don't know, you can't beat that. Yeah. How has your relationship with the song changed over like the last 20 years? Yeah, I love it more. And like, I didn't get to do the whole tour last time. So when she played it in Madison, man, I screamed. Me and a couple of EWF were watching it, the live stream on Facebook or whatever, because someone would, you know, one of y'all would always, and thank you so much. You're like a blessing. <laughs> Long live the boom boom room. <laughs> yeah, it was whoever could get Wi-Fi, right? Yeah. So I don't know, whoever recorded it for that night, I think I just jumped up and down in mm. excitement. Last question, Julie, what is your favorite shade of blue? If you had to pick one shade of blue, what shade of blue would you choose? So it's probably like, Royal blue. Ooh, okay. Yeah, not navy, but not too light either. Kind of mm -hmm. like in the middle. Mm -hmm. Like an electric blue. You got it. Find Julie on Twitter at Detura10 or on Instagram at Detura underscore 10. Or you can find her on Facebook under the name Julie Suzanne. And hopefully, Julie, Never Seen Blue comes at a show you are at next year. Oh my gosh, I hope so. Bye, Julie. Bye. Some Could not be more thrilled to be talking to one of my favorite people, Emily Cousins, who is here to reveal to us the most amazing, well, I already know it, but to reveal to you the most amazing story <laughs> revolving around Never Seen Blue. Hi, Emily. Hi, Efren. Hi, everybody. I'm so excited to be talking with you, too. Were you a super fan of Never Seen Blue before? Tell us your relationship with Never Seen Blue prior to the story you're going to tell us. Sure. So I would say my relationship with the song prior to my story is that I always, I really liked it, but I wouldn't say that it had garnered like a top 10 attention from me. Um, but I always thought it was a beautiful song and just like a, a gorgeous, beautiful B-side that would, you know, come flitting through my life every now and then. So then it's a beautiful B-side that floated in and out of your life occasionally. Mm-hmm. Take us to the day of the story. 
Oh, one other thing I should say, and I don't know if you guys will have mentioned this in your episode already, but it always reminded me the intro, the piano intro always reminded me of her cover of I'm on Fire by Bruce Springsteen. And I always, I love that cover too. So it always kind of was linked to that a little bit for me as well, just musically. Yeah. So, yes. It's interesting because we did, I mean, we did talk a little bit about the I'm on Fire thing, but do you think that it's, that it was written about her husband and when they were first getting together, when the passion was high, do you think she purposely took that from her cover of I'm on Fire? Because it is so similar. It is so similar. I've kind of wondered that. I can't imagine that she wouldn't have noticed that Mm -hmm. because she's the amazing virtuoso that she is. So, yeah, one would assume that, of course, that she would have had to have noticed and that therefore she's very intentional and purposeful with her choices. So I think the way you said that was a good way of describing it, that maybe since she was capturing some of the essence of the one feeling of the song for her and the other or something, maybe. Yeah. They, like, click together. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of passion. Speaking of it. Speaking of passion, (laughs) tell us everything. Sure. So this would have been May of this year, this Lord's Year of 2021. (laughs) (laughs) So I've been with my boyfriend, Jay, now for for a long time. And uh, we live together, and we've been dating for over eight years. And on this beautiful May weekend, Memorial Day weekend, we had decided to, uh, well, I thought we were celebrating my birthday because my birthday was coming up in about a week and he was going to be out of town. So he told me to uh, reserve the day and that we'd go take a hike and go out for brunch and just, you know, do some birthday celebrations. But he kind of kept everything a surprise, which he likes to do and is fun for me. But uh, we went on a hike and he took me to a place that was special to us. And it was a beautiful day, and we were enjoying the day, and he had a playlist of songs to play. <laughs> and I didn't, I guess I didn't realize specifically at the time that he'd put together this playlist special, but I did notice that they were good songs, and they were by people that we both really liked, you know, so kind of hitting up our top favorite musicians and things. And then uh, um, a few songs in, Never Seen Blue starts playing. So I was just, you know, completely struck by this and distracted like oh you know this is Torian this is never seen blue and how does Jay have this song how does Jay know about this song <laughs> because he's a Tory fan and owns some of her music but just not the whole extensive library you know mm-hmm. not not like us here mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so as I was processing all of this he, he brings out this platter that has uh, some champagne glasses and a little mini champagne bottle and a little what ended up being a proposal card for for marriage so he had specifically timed that he wanted to propose to me during never seen blue which was amazing mm-hmm. um that you just oh you know i i just need a moment <laughs> i'm a little overclimbed <laughs> um so it was very special and he you know he explained to me later that he had wanted to propose to me during a tory song because of how special tory is to me and he wanted it to be the right song and was a little overwhelmed with how do I find the right Tory song to propose with. There's only like 500 or so. <laughs> right. <laughs> this is a good point, you friend. Yeah. Start digging. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and we all know that Tory doesn't write a lot of traditional love songs, right? So, um, but he, had, he thought about contacting you to ask you, you know, if, because he knows how much I love you boys and, and that you guys would be the perfect references for this question, right? But before he got to the point of contacting you, he found a list that you had put online uh-huh. about um, top 10 Tory love songs for Valentine's Day. Yeah. Is that right? Something yeah. along those lines. And so he had 
gone through your list, which was wonderful, and all the descriptions that you wrote for each song, and then he listened to each song and read the lyrics to each song and had selected Never Seen Blue from that list. And I thought it was a perfect selection. And I thought it was super fun that you got to be inadvertently involved in my proposal. (laughs) (laughs) Finally, finally part of a proposal. (laughs) When are you getting married? Uh, So, you know, I think we're going to do the like a slow roll (laughs) on the engagement. I'm thinking not this next June, but the following. So Mm. June of 2023. So I think I think it'll be a little down the ways. Good. I just need to know how long I have to become an officiant. Right? So you have a little bit of time. A little bit okay, of time good. yet. So now, how have your feelings about Never Seen Blue changed? Oh, you know, it's just like this took a song of the, already of my favorite artist and, and, you know, made it such a special personal part of my life in such a meaningful way. It's just, it's so cool. I, I now feel like I have such a huge connection to it you know and now now I feel like it's, it's my song you know mm-hmm. and I never knew if I ever met Tori I was like oh my god what do I request it was just like my mind would always spin and now I'm like oh I, I have a song I would love to see never seen blue now and yeah it, it feels just it's made it just so special <sighs> you know it's oh I love it that's amazing I mean that's truly a beautiful story and I'm and Emily told me you told me like right after it happened so this is like May or June that you told me yeah yes Yes. And I was like, oh my God, we are so close to the Never Seen Blue episode. Like, we have to tell your story. <laughs> so I'm so glad we got to do this. Oh, and I was so excited about it, too. <sighs> yeah. I don't know, especially for, I mean, yeah, he's a casual Tory fan, but kind of like a non, someone who's not like super in a Tory, to really put in that work, to really put in that effort, like the research and everything, and to find something. I mean, mm-hmm. that's true love. Like, come on. Yeah. You said yes, right? Oh, gosh, yes, 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 yes. Good. Absolutely, yes. I started crying and, oh, of course, you know, of course I will, yes, yes. And it's kind of cool. My ring, too, is a sapphire. So it's not a dark sapphire. It's a light-colored one, but it's this beautiful light blue. Uh. So I also feel like that matches, right? Never seen blue. And Jay has blue eyes. Ah! It's all the blue. Oh, my God. I'm so glad that someone so special got such a special proposal. Oh, thank you. And it warms our heart to know that we were even a little bit a part of it. But more importantly, it warms my heart to know that you found someone who will put in that effort for you. And that's beautiful. Thank you. I'm so excited, too. I hope your wedding dress is blue. Well, you know, there's something blue. I do have to wear something blue. Oh, yeah. For sure. You know, you have to anyway, but now especially. Oh, yeah. He needs a blue suit. Mm-hmm. Well, find Emily Cousins. Well, you can't find Emily Cousins unless you head over to Iowa City because <laughs> she's not good with social media. But you can always hear her. I'm going to start playing more of your voicemails on our Never Shut Up Daily show. So you can always find her there. Oh, thanks. thanks, Emily, for telling us your story. And congratulations. Oh, thank you for listening. Bye. Bye. You are entering the AMOS Live Lounge. Last stop on the Welcome back to the lounge, David. Thank you. I had the lounge redecorated in every shade of blue because I know you have never seen blue. Mm-hmm. 16 shades I think you used. I did. That's navy. That's cerulean. That's electric blue right there. I love cerulean. Figured you would. Also a sky. A robin's egg. Here's a powder. <laughs> Here's a baby. Powder, baby, and sky. People think they're the same, but they're not. A powdery baby. A nice powdery baby. <laughs> a nice powdery baby under a nice blue sky. <laughs> uh-huh. I have never. I have 
have never seen blue like this. Is there any possibility that Tori's colorblind and she's actually just like never seen blue? And she's like crying out for help. <laughs> yeah, and we're just ignoring her. We're like, no, it's symbolism. Shh, shh, shh. It's symbolism. Quiet. She's like, no, I've actually like never seen blue. Help. So this song, David, has been performed a total of 38 times in Tori's career on tour, not counting promo performances and TV, things like that. But 38 times on the tour proper. And guess how many of those 38 survive? 34. 36. Ooh, okay. So it's a very high ratio. So I've listened to I've listened to more than 36 because that's only the tour ones. Plus there's other radio performances and stuff. Mm-hmm. But we're going to go through all of it right here today. You ready? All 36. I'm ready. She's only performed it 38 times on tour, but somehow we're playing 60 versions. Oh my God. <laughs> First, let's talk about what you think about the number 38. Is this a rarity or not? I expected it to be far less than 38. Yeah, I'm surprised. Not that 38 is that many. Like, we just came off cooling, which was 146, but 38, it's not that much, but it's still more than I expected. Yeah, what even is a rarity at this point? The pool and Flying Dutchman? Well, Flying Dutchman, no, but the pool. Not even, like, way down, because she played it so often on Night of Hunters. In so. 2011? Yeah. yeah. Snowblind. Snowblind's a rarity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A narity. <laughs> like a ne'er-do-well? A narity. A never-been-played, yeah. a never-seen-blue, a never-been-played. Yeah. Colorblind and snowblind. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. I never played, never seen blue. Never played, never seen blue. I can't hear it without doing the echo backing vocals. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I love that about our dynamic. Uh-huh. The first time Tori Amos performed this song was in Dallas on October 4th, 1998. And she paired it with me in a gun. And here that is. What do you think about that pairing? Yeah, I think kind of like we were talking in the line by line, maybe there's an element of healing here, healing from trauma within this relationship. So in that regard, I think this pairing is nice and makes sense. What do you think? I agree. I think exactly that. I think that there is that healing and uh, that he specifically helped her to heal. Mm -hmm. Specifically from this incident referenced to Mina Gunn too. You know, they're back to back. What's interesting though, is that from that October 4th performance, On the dent, Jennifer, a.k.a. Cheryl, posted to the Precious Things mailing list that they got to the meet and greet, and this was about the show the day before on on October 3rd. She said, we got to the meet and greet before the show, but we were number 55 and number 56, so we gave up all hope and sat on the side after handing my camera and letter to a few friends in front. Tori mentioned maybe playing Never Seen Blue and asked if anyone had the Jackie Strength single so she could go listen to it. So look forward to that sometime soon. And then she played it the next day. But what do you think of that? <laughs> like someone gave her their single. Do you think she gave it back? No, certainly <laughs> right? not. If you give Tori anything, you're not getting it back. That is grassroots marketing. Get people to buy a second single by stealing their first. Yeah. Tell them that you're only going to be able to play a song if they buy the single then give it to you. <laughs> yeah. Or the album that it appears on. Yeah. She's like, I'm sorry. How does Precious Things go? You'll need to buy a little Earthquake. Pre- Precious, Precious Tings? I don't remember that song. Can you give me the album, please? On October 13th, she played this song in Jacksonville, Florida, and she mentions it was supposed to be on Pele. Here it is. And she paired it with Cooling. So here's a little story before. Songs are supposed to get on records. Not quite sure what I'm going to 
I get it's between the two. I don't know in like 30 seconds. But, um, yeah. No. You know, if we were betting, you'd be fucking broke. It was never going to be on Boys for Paley, and that wouldn't make any sense. Maybe she thought in the writing stage it would be. That's what I think. 1998 was a great year for Never Seen Blue. Because she played it five times that year, which is the most she plays it on any tour almost. Here's Raleigh, October 18th. I just love the end. This song lives live at the end. She always changes that ending somehow. It's so wild that she played it in, what, February 1996, or at least a version of it. Mm -hmm. And then it doesn't come out until September 1998. And she doesn't play it at all on the tour until after the single had come out. That's true. And what's funny about that is that on October 24th, she did play it on VH1 Storytellers. It did not air, but it was performed. And why don't we hear a little bit about that taping? Posted to the Dent by Beth Coulter, October 25th, 1998. Oh, wow. This was such an experience, and you all have a treat in store when Tori Amos' Storytellers is shown in maybe six weeks. There were two lines, one near the wall for those of us on Tori's list, and a line near the street for the radio winners. John Witherspoon finally came up to the Tory list line, I mean, really true Tory files like Dor and William, Matt Page, Mike Solomon, the new editor of the Really Deep Thoughts fanzine, and Kate, who flew standby from Texas, and of course, my daughter, my friend Anthony, and myself, amongst others. And he had about 15 of us enter the studio first. 
After the director and Johnny shuffled folks around in the first and second rows, we had our seats front and center, seven feet from Tori. Tori said there was one thing that has been kept out of the media and she can only thank her girlfriends and some boyfriends that have been loyal to her. In between her Sylvia Plath and heavy classics and nonfiction, she used to have books like The Flames of Love, trashy romance novels. She felt ashamed, but she was so hooked on them. But one day she was talking to Beanie and was reminded how she used to always read them, but not anymore. And why was that? She said, because I met this guy. He's no white knight, but I wrote this for him. And then she went into Northern Lad. After she finished, she told us, I'm really not supposed to talk about him. See, we made a deal. I married him. At this point, there was a problem with one of the lights. So everything stopped while Kevin gave Tori a lip gloss boost, and then asked if the person with the last question wanted to ask it now during the break. Chris stood up and told her back in 96, he was one of about eight people at this radio station and she had played a new song that has now never seen blue. He wanted to know where it had come from. Tori was a bit surprised. I did? I sang that? Oh shit. See, it's about the same guy that I'm not supposed to talk about and I lied about Northern Lad and I don't have another lie. She played it, so beautiful. They wanted her to redo Hey Jupiter, but Tori was adamant. She said, it got messed up in the last eight bars. I'll give you the last of it and you can cut it in. I can't do it again. I can't get there again. She said, meaning that she couldn't recapture the moment and didn't want to lose the specialness that it had the first time. So she sang the last verse. She said, now I work with an all English crew and they're always telling me that I speak American and therefore I'm not always clear, but I wanted to write this person a song to tell him that he was just jelly beans to me. And she replayed Northern Lad. The next day in Providence, Rhode Island on October 25th, she played Never Seen Blue and told a story right before it about VH1 storytellers. Here it is. Somebody asked me to play this song to do it with because we did a beach home storytelling, I swear to Christ, if any of you ever are asked to do that, kill yourself first. <laughs> I think that's why, um, it's, it's kind of sad that you're getting us after we did that because we all should have ranked up. And um, it's the weirdest thing when you have to talk about songs. Why do you think I write them? Because I can't talk. That's why I do that. So anyway, you do this thing. See how she said the guy reminded her that she'd played it on radio, but that it wasn't done yet? Mm-hmm. She said, I didn't even remember doing that. It wasn't done yet. So there you go. It was not done yet by February 96. Therefore, it couldn't have been recorded yet.
It was not recorded for Boys for Pele. I think we can finally retire this myth. I love how you and I are fighting on the same side. <laughs> We're stronger together, David. Yeah, I know we are stronger together. We've got to finally team up against all these people who are so invested in these songs being leftovers from Boys for Pele. I don't know why. They're thematic, David. They're thematic leftovers. Do you like leftovers? Do you like reheating things? Reheating things and reheating things? I'm not a leftovers person, unless it's leftover pizza. I'm hungry. <laughs> On November 16th, Tori played this in Burlington, Vermont, and she tells this story. This is a tune in, uh, Shirley, the Paley record. Now, this is another one. It's not the one you guys think about. I know. But this is Huh? Oh, maybe I'll do that. See, she said it wasn't really going to make Choir Girl. I know she was going in a different direction for Choir Girl, you know. Mm-hmm. Underwater. She was in her submarine. Yeah. Not everything can make every record. Everyone calm down. In 1999, Tori must play this song once on the Five and a Half Weeks tour, once on the To Dallas and Back tour, and once on the solo tour. And here it is on September 5th, 1999 in Indianapolis on the Five and a Half Weeks tour. The end again, very special. In 2001, Tori performed this six times on the Strange Little Tour. This song for me exists the end of it. Like the end of it is always so meaningful to me. And this is the first time she did it September 29th in Clearwater, Florida. October 6th in Washington, D.C.
Are you ready for this, David? This is the first time I ever heard it. Y'all ready for this? Why waste your time? Blue. November 2nd in Austin, Texas. I loved this show. This was my first time, legitimately, and I know I'm late to the party. This was my first time seat hopping into the front row and sitting there for most of the show until, like, nearing the first encore, the people came to take their seats. At that point, I own them, right? Yeah, of course. <laughs> Squatter's rights. Squatter's rights. You were like, no, no, I'm in the front row with popcorn. <laughs> That's exactly what I did. Mm-hmm. Tori stopped the show. No, I'm sorry. If you can't respect Tori Amos enough to get to the front row by at least three songs in, then you don't deserve the seats. Yeah, you That's don't. It. Yeah. And it's all about the confidence. You've got to waltz down there like those seats are yours and no one will, exactly. no one will question you. <laughs> That's true. It's about confidence. On December 16th, 2002, Tori performed this in Tempe, Arizona. And I, this was the first time I remember hearing the song and being completely moved by this song. Up until that point, you had your arms crossed and you were like, try, try to make me have an emotional response. I'm not going to. And then on December 16th, you were like, crap, it happened. You got me, Tori. I just mean live because on November 2nd, 2001, I was entangled with no one. But on December 16th, 2002, I was entangled with someone and I had very strong emotions about that person. Mm, This is that thing where you can only understand something after you've experienced it. You only know when you know this. Yeah, you only know when you know this. Exactly. Uh And he didn't have blue eyes, but never seen brown it does not sound as good no it's not good <laughs> code brown staring at me <laughs> In 2005, on the original Sensuality Tour, Tori must perform this song four times and then two more times on the later Summer of Sin Tour. This is April 3rd, the tour debut in Orlando, Florida.
This is from a radio broadcast on June 28th, 2005 in Frankfurt. In and tell you this was one of the most special shows of my life this was september 16 2005 in phoenix she played hotel for me that night and never seen blue i think there's a thematic link between hotel being about all her previous relationships and the fact that never seen blue came out that night again i said it earlier i don't think it's an apology i mean i said apology but you clarified and it's more like a and this is how it all wrapped up you know like this is the next step in the story so yeah, when she plays a song like Hotel Solo in 2005 for the only time that tour, and still the only time to date, by the way, solo, then of course I never seen Blue comes after it. It just makes cosmic sense to me. Are you going to be mad if she plays Hotel Solo and it wasn't you that asked for it? No, because I will ensure that I always ask for it. Oh, okay. Even if you don't and she plays it, you'll be like, no, when I asked for it before, it was a lifelong request. And anytime she plays yeah, it yeah, now, yeah. it's for me. It's a request in perpetuity. Exactly. I bought the NFT uh-huh. for all hotel solos. Birdie looking at me. <laughs> in 2007, on the American Doll Posse World Tour, Tori performed this song twice only. Doll Posse. Which we played earlier. So we're moving on to 2009, where she performed this song twice on the Sinful Attraction Tour and once on the Sinful Attraction Solo Tour. One performance was sinful and the other was attractive. And the third one was sinful and attractive. Mm. This is actually from May 7th, 2009, from 3 Vor 12, a radio program in Netherlands that broadcast a performance. And here's that. In and Again in the Netherlands, September 23rd in Groningen. This is my favorite performance of the whole tour, and that's why we're playing it. It's so good.
She did not play this song in 2010, but it was listed on the set list on July 14, 2010 in Zurich. It was not played that night, but she did play it at soundcheck that day and then replaced it in the moment with Ribbons Undone. She sacked her husband and brought up her daughter. (laughs) (laughs) On the night of Hunter's tour, she performed this four times. And here's my favorite performance of this song. This is December 1st in Philadelphia. Philadelphia. I've had one of the best nights of my life in Philadelphia. You love the men of Philadelphia and the streets. I do. I also love Bruce Springsteen. Mm-hmm. And a Philly cheesesteak. There's vegan Philly cheesesteak that someone on tour, this handsome man on tour, told me where I could get a vegan Philly cheesesteak. And I went on our day off and I got one and I can't wait to go back. That sounds like a weird interaction to have. Was he wearing a trench coat and a hat? And he was like, hey, hey, kid, you looking for a vegan cheesesteak? No, he listens to the show and he was recommending stuff. Oh. I just didn't want to call him out by name. Can he recommend some chicken nuggets to me? There's only one place to go for chicken nuggets, and that's McDonald's. Yeah, you're right about that. She did not perform the song in 2012, Goldust Era, or 2013, Caprice, but she did perform it in 2014 on Unrepentant Geraldine's Four Times, David. I'm going to play it four times and I'm not apologizing for crap. You're going to say that every time, aren't you? I love it. I think it's funny. (laughs) It's cute. I love it. It's your thing. It's your signature. It's your signature. Three of those four times, she performed it with 16 Shades of Blue. And three of those four times, it was in the encore. We're not going to play that fourth rogue time. And if she was going to apologize for something, that should be it. Not giving us four out of four? No, for coupling it with her other two songs that reference Blue. It's like, come on, we get it. She only did that one time, and that was in Zurich, Switzerland, May 31st, 2014. She played this song sandwiched between 16 Shades of Blue and Lady in Blue. Mm. She's Clevs. I actually think it sounded great. That whole encore sounds great. Even though it's kind of like silly, they all sounded good together. I love Lady in Blue, though. You can play two. The Native Invader Tour. The last time Tori Miss has played this song to date was on October 26, 2017 in Madison, Wisconsin, which we know is a super special place for her and Mark. Oh, yeah, of course. Where the 
I love that performance, particularly because it's been so long since she wrote it. And there's something so special about looking back on your life and like singing these songs that she wrote when she was young, singing them from a perspective of a woman who's looking back at that girl. And I love that. Mm -hmm. There's something so special about it. I'm going to offer you something here at the end and maybe you'll take it. Is it cake? Is it cake? Is it leftover pizza? I don't make vegan non-dairy cake or pizza. Rude. I feel that for Mark, the improv, Never Seen Blue, Abbey Road, and Upside Down 2 are all connected and all basically the same song. I can see that. Although for Mark, I mean, Upside Down 2 and for Mark, I don't see a connection. But I I feel like for Mark was an improv that comes from the feeling in the moment that she had, similar to the feeling in the moment that she had when she was writing those other ones. Mm Mm-hmm. It's all like thematically connected, you mean. What do we have to do to get an improv? I feel like we're doing a lot, like three hour episodes from each song and she can't whip out a four David or a four Efren. Come on. Efren's girl. <laughs> That's stretching it, David. Some girl Efren <laughs> is. Oh, that'd be great. And I've never seen David, never seen David. I'm sorry, she did do an improv for me. You're forgetting Home on the Range, Phoenix 09. I haven't. I was just going to say. <laughs> And some people have brought it to my attention that they believe in Hotel Solo. She says, Eef, in there. Yada-da-da-da-da, Eef, have to learn. <laughs> that was like a very show tune version I just did, too, with like, yada-da-da-da-da, have to learn. How would you feel next to her if she did it upside down and you were in the front and she was looking at you and she changed it to, I loved a brown boy? I would be so honored. Would you? I would be so honored. Yes! What if she was looking at me and she was like, I loved a super pale, almost translucent white boy. I would be honored that she did that for you, but I don't know how you'd feel about it. I'd be okay with it. I mean, I am pretty white. Speaking of white, that's the white light of the elevator calling us forth. Let's leave the lounge. Mm, I feel like I'm having a near-death experience. Into the white light. We hope you've enjoyed your visit to the AMOS Live Lounge. Goodbye. did it again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we finished Oops. another episode. Do you think at any point she attempted to sing Take Me By The Hand through a lift? Because Mark is so British. No. 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 Okay. No. We are plowing through this catalog. I know. I feel like I just got plowed. sides will be done by the end of the year and next year is all about venus and probably strange little girls because there's only 11 venus tracks and no b-sides so 
What do we think? 2022 is the year of the Venus. Venus, a strange little girl. Girl, I know what you'd do if you could. You'd go to Venus and then come girl, back. Girl, I know what you'd do if you could. I love the way she tells that story like it was a sick burn. Her friend was like, I know where you'd go. You'd go to Venus, you little so-and-so. She was like, oh my God, you're right. You're so right. I would go to Venus. How'd you know that? Oh. <laughs> I do get drunk. I get wasted. I did. I do. I do do that. I do do that. <laughs> you know me. Oh my God, you don't know me. <laughs> Yeah. Remember the 80s? Oh my God, glorious. <laughs> if you like what we do, follow us on social at Songs of Tori Amos across Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. You can email us, Songs of Tori Amos at gmail.com. You can call our voicemail, leave us a voicemail, 323-296-9955. We'll soon be publishing more regular newsletters, so you want to go to our website, Songs of Tori Amos.com, to sign up for our newsletter. But if you really like what we do and you really want to help get this show out faster, then you can go over to patreon.com slash songs of Tori and become a patron supporter today. We have tons of extra audio content on the feed. So go support us at any level and you'll have something new to listen to. Yeah. If you really, really love what we do, you guys are sick. You sick pervs. You love it. You love listening to us. God, what's wrong with you? <laughs> David, David, I need to stop you right there before it goes too far. <laughs> I know this song gets you romantically inclined, I but know. too much. Some boy you all are to take us by the hand on this journey through Tori's catalog, song by song. Anyway, on that note, David, I'm very happy to have done this with you, and I hope to do this again, but I don't know now. Okay. I don't know now. <laughs> well, you can think about it. You can take some time to recover. I think you'll be up for it again Thank next you. week. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe we'll see. <laughs> Thank you for talking to me, David. Thank you for listening, everybody, and we'll talk again next time for Beulah Land. Gotta waste it, gone. Why did we both turn into Cher to sing Beulah Land? But it just seemed it seemed right, though. It does, and like she doesn't do that in that song, but I still feel like I have to do that. Beulah Land. I can see you tossing your hair. Gotta rub a bullet. One day, never seen Beulah. Oh, Beulah. Before we leave, what are your three favorite blue things? Go. Go. Um, no thinking about it. I don't. Go. Uh, Go. Never seen blue. Sixteen shades of blue and lady in blue. Okay. Something borrowed and something blue. I like blueberries. I like the sky because the sky always makes me feel peaceful. And ah, blue carousel. Oh God, I love a blue carousel. Oh wow. Oh, yeah. Bye, David. Bye.
Drive All Night is a production of the Sideways Society. For more information and links to things mentioned in this episode, please visit us online at songsoftoryamis.com.